Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a special presentation of KMOX. This is from our good friend Tom Langmeyer, who was the president, vice president, general manager of KMOX for a number of years. And he sent me this note via email the same week that Ann Keefe died in uh, 2015. Remembering Ann Keefe. 1925 to 2015, KMOX broadcaster, but more important, as a wonderful person. He says, Ann Keefe was truly is an amazing woman and will always hold a special place in my heart. She was a true broadcaster and journalist. A real character is a person in many respects, but also a person of great character. Ann died this week at 90 years of age. I had the honor of knowing and working with her at KMOX until she retired in the 1990s. Ann Keefe commanded respect because she was very intelligent, driven, interested, interesting as a person, worldly, passionate, focused, and tough. She had a work ethic that one rarely sees today. Ann rarely used the first-person pronoun or took credit for others' work. She researched for herself wrote her own copy, and respected those support roles. She taught people and didn't coddle them. She didn't let someone languish by not teaching them for fear of hurting their feelings. And those on the receiving end knew it because she loved them and saw bigger things for them than they could even see for themselves. She was known as the Grand Dame a voice that graced KMOX for over 20 years, distinct not only in the raspy nature, but the trademark wisdom that was consistent with her special character. Ann Keefe passed away late December of 2015 at her daughter's home in Webster, New York. In this special, we're going to look back at what made her not only a radio legend, but a television pioneer. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. Personalities keep at your service moving, like Ann Keefe with her incisive questions. Why shouldn't we, as part of the evolutionary process, that is the scientific community, replace accident with order? Why isn't that a good thing right. and, a, and a giant step ahead? You have just hit the central question. As a matter of fact, this, that's the first time anyone in 600 interviews I've done has raised that question. She was a consummate storyteller. I mean, she, she had stories about anything. 
That's Bill McClellan, columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and one of the original members of Donnybrook, a TV show Anne would co-host with him, along with other St. Louis journalists. I remember uh, talking when, you know, and of course she she enjoyed a drink. You know, she drank that Irish whiskey and she smoked long brown cigarettes. And in addition to Donnybrook, she did another show on Channel 9 called Healthy Living. And I remember we were drinking one day probably after the show. And I said, you know, and do you ever feel at all odd about having a show called Healthy Living when you yourself drink whiskey and smoke cigarettes like you do? And she looked at me and she said, you know, Bill, it's all about genetics and attitude. She was a pioneer. Uh, The first woman, she came from Rochester, New York. I think she was the first woman on radio or TV or both or something. So she had a lot of firsts before anybody else. And uh, she was a very conscientious person. She had a wonderful heart. Charles Jaco had a saying, uh, journalists are supposed to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable and do good. And Anne Keefe certainly did that. Reflections from KMOX newsman Bob Hamilton, and now host Charlie Brennan. Well, she was a very nice woman. When I got here in 1988, she invited me to her house for Thanksgiving dinner that year with her son, Chris. She was um, always a teacher. I think she taught in a previous life, and she was always giving instruction and advice and recommendations. She did not like calls that criticized her. I once co-hosted a show with her. I sat in for Bruce Badley when he was on vacation. And I took a call, I think, that criticized Anne, and she didn't care for that. She had six kids, and every day she'd go off to the office at the, the television station and be an on-air reporter or an anchor person or whatever she was, role she was filling. And then she'd come home, and God love her, every night they'd have, she and my stepfather would have a martini and a couple cigarettes. And then she'd get up and make dinner for everybody. And she'd cook for everybody. And we'd all pitch in and make the table, but she made a full meal for us, and then uh, you know, had dessert every night and then had a, oh, mom, I need some cookies for tomorrow. And that poor woman, yeah, that poor woman, you know, did all the stuff. That's one of Ann's sons, Chris Keefe, describing life before St. Louis. And I wrote commercials on the side and I went back to school and got my master's degree. And I taught school in order to pay for the master's degree. And I taught school at uh, Catholic schools to defray the tuition of some of my kids. And I was very busy. And she used to say, you know, I didn't have a career. I had a, I had a job. And if, by the way, if I was extremely wealthy, I wouldn't be doing this either. I'd be hanging out somewhere in India or something. So it, it was obviously she was being glib because she enjoyed it. And we'll all be here 20 years from now <laughs> saying hello, my dears. Uh, I won't be that decrepit if you You will. won't? No, ma'am. You take vitamins or something. I don't know what your secret is. People ask me that, too, and I always say I don't know. When we come back, we'll look at the early years of Rochester, how she was discovered by Robert Highland, and getting her start in St. Louis. It's the Ann Keefe Special on KMOX.
This is a special presentation of KMOX Radio. Dedicated to a broadcast trailblazer, KMOX legend, and Keith. I just was at the right place at the right time as history evolved in this business, and in the country for that matter. In the afternoon, there was Ann Keefe, and Ann Keefe, who passed away not too long ago, was a tremendous broadcaster and a, uh, a woman who was a pioneer in broadcasting in Rochester. And as a kid, I kind of remember growing up in Buffalo, she was a person who was a very, very strong news voice in upstate New York. Former KMOX general manager Tom Langmeyer. I was born 1925. That was a year after World War One when women had learned that they could get a paycheck and come home and say, wait a minute, I'm contributing to this household. I have something to say. It was the flapper era. Mm-hmm. My mother was a school teacher. My mother and father were both school teachers. But in 1925, do you know you couldn't be a woman school teacher? Only men could teach school if they were married. So, of course, I couldn't be around. So my grandparents, who were uh, just let me do anything I wanted to, uh, raised me for a while. Then I came to Rochester to boarding school. That was a lucky break. She had started out in radio and was doing radio plays back in the 40s. So she probably got out of college in the in, in the, uh, uh, the late mid-40s, and then she went off to it. There was a broadcasting school. It was the NBC School of Broadcasting up in uh, Northwestern. She went away for a year to do that, and television was embedded. And she and my father went to TV together. Before she came to St. Louis, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in 1976, she had been 25 years in the business already you know, performing live television, uh, doing radio shows and do anchoring, anchoring news and being a, a news reporter for years and years and years. So, and we grew up with that. So when she came here, she was more than ready to take on the assignment of, of her job because she had years of experience doing it. She would describe her early broadcast years to Scott Feibush from WXXI News. WHAM called my drama coach and said, I need a female who can scream. They did a program at that time called True Stories of the New York State Police. So she said, well, I've got a screamer and send me out. <laughs> for those on the East Coast, Anne was known for her broadcast work in Rochester. Before getting into news, she hosted multiple shows, as explained by a WROC-TV profile. Anne went straight to work in radio, playing bit parts in soap operas. Soon after, the station's owners moved to the new building on Humboldt Street, and they ventured into TV. It was like a summer stock theater, you know, a diner where there's a barn where you could go put on a show. And we all were learning together, and it was great fun. Longtime KMOX producer Fred Bottomer. Another thing I remember about Ann when we were talking near the end of her career at KMOX, she said, you know, no matter what I did here in St. Louis, no matter what I did in my career, I will always be remembered the most when she would go back home to Rochester and people on the street would remember her as Miss Anne because for a while she hosted the Rochester version of Romper Room on the TV station there back in the early days of television. And she said that was something that people, you know, 30, 40 years later still remembered her as Miss Anne. Now the war comes along. Uh, we've got, as I say, men not only out of college, but also when I go to look for a job, there are lots of jobs open. The guys still aren't back. Um, it was an open market, and I already had this in at Wham. 
So I went to work there. Then I worked for a year in Buffalo doing advertising, which I also liked doing. I could write. If you could write in those days and be a voice, you were in pretty good shape. She also said a lot of people remembered her from a, a show that she did called Dialing for Dollars, where they would uh, rip up pages of the phone book in Rochester, and then every day they, they'd pull out a different page from the phone book and pick a certain phone number and call that person and ask if they knew the uh, password for the day. And if they did, they would win a prize for that day from the from the radio station. And she said that was something where, where people began to, to get to know her because she could have just a conversation with whoever answered the phone. And it was it was great listening. When the first local newscast launched in 1957, Anne was there, too. I had the opportunity to go back and see her not long before she passed away. And she was still remembered in, you know, I guess, what, over 40 years after she left Rochester as a superstar there. So she was actually like a local legend in two entirely distinct media markets, Rochester, New York, and St. Louis. That's Ray Hartman, founder of the Riverfront Times and one of the original members of Donnybrook. In this example, you can hear Anne's distinct style in her reporting from a women's expo. If Women's Expo 73 reflects the work interests and dreams of Rochester women, then baby, we've still got a long way to go. The exhibition was officially opened this morning when Mrs. Mark Ellingson, Mayor Stephen May, and Lieutenant Colonel B. Tromalone of the United States Air Force congratulated the Rochester women for this demonstration of progress in obtaining equal rights and opportunities. The fact is, the show is almost entirely a demonstration of the things ladies need to carry out their traditional roles, femme fatale, housewife, and gimmick consumer. Sewing machines, cookware, and automatic golf carts are demonstrated to the ladies. In the telephone company booth, the representative explains the glamour of the slimline phone, not the job possibilities for females in the telephone company. There are two or three booths which give info about volunteer work and a pitch for a dental hygienist school. The program points out there will be an impressive rostrum of lady politicians, executives, and educators on Saturday, which is career day. And in all fairness, maybe one day out of five to discuss prospects for the working woman may be in correct proportion to the ratio of working gals to homemakers. Even as a homemaker, though, I would have liked to have seen some innovative ideas about those chores I do every day in my woman's universe. The one thing I have no trouble doing is thinking up ways to spend money. Ann Keefe, Channel 8 News. But she was also the person that was Miss Annie on Robber Room back in the early TV days. Mm. And um, there was a, and I believe what happened is that there was, there was a big strike at the radio station or the TV station, radio and TV station where Ann had worked in Rochester. And, uh, you know, she was kind of, um, you know, just sort of disheartened by all of that. And, you know, she was coming through town and she stopped to see Mr. Highland. So how did this accomplished and respected personality find out about an opening in St. Louis? 1975 or so, there was a strike at my mom's television station in Rochester, New York, WROC. And I forgot if it was Rushcraft Broadcasting bought them or somebody else. But what they had done was they had swept away all of the uh, pension benefits that these people had in their accounts. When the new owners came in, they just took it. This is before ERISA was implemented the uh, em- Employee Retirement Act that, that protected that kind of stuff. And then they ha- then they slashed all the on-air personalities' uh, salaries by like, I don't know, you know th- by 30%, 40%. So my mom was a, a shop steward uh, uh, of the uh, AFTRA Association, and they were all AFTRA members, and so they all went out on strike. I've always been a strong union member, and what they wanted to do was, Russ Craft, I think, 
But what they wanted to do was have a time clock. And if you were a reporter, for instance, and I needed you to cover a story today, I would call you up and say, today you're working. But I didn't give you a paycheck by the week. You got paid by the hour. And I, no, no, it was a steel manufacturer that owned us. And I said, that may work in a steel shop, but it doesn't work in broadcasting. I was furious. So we had a lovely strike. Uh, they never recovered from that strike, by the way, that station. At one point, a local mobster in Rochester, New York, drove by and was going to support the strike and says, Annie, Annie, come here. And my mom went over to the vehicle. He says, you guys need some, uh, you know, you need any pineapples? She said, pineapples? No, no, we have plenty of fruit, plenty of you here on the, on the line. And he said to me, oh, what can we do for you? And I said, well, everybody's been kind to me. There are milkmen stopping by with ice cream sodas and stuff. And people are very good here. The hospital people, workers had helped us. And, and he said, well, I thought maybe you could use a pineapple. And he looks at the glass building behind me, which is ROC. And I thought, it's so hot. I said to him, I don't think so. We have no refrigeration stuff here and a pineapple would go bad in no time and he said no no and he made it a gesture of pulling the pin out of a hand grenade <laughs> and throwing it into the building <laughs> out. oh my lord so I said no 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 this isn't that kind of a strike no no yeah the strike was enough for Ann to understand it was time to look around and she found a station in Missouri that was looking for talent but it wasn't in St. Louis. You can imagine coming back to work for these new owners who had already tried to gouge everybody, and nobody was very happy going back. So long story short was my mom also at the time was going through a divorce of her second husband that she had been married to for 20 years or so. So she was kind of in, the, in, in between things. And a friend of hers had said, well, there's uh, somebody's looking for an anchor person. She At the time, she was a, a television anchor on the uh, news in Rochester on WROC. And she was went out to visit a friend in St. Louis and was going to go to Kansas City to talk to some television station out there. By this time, she's worked in Rochester media for about 30 years. And so I knew I wasn't going to be back in the catbird seat anymore after leading a strike. So I was going to Kansas City. I had a friend there who said that uh, the Kansas City Star owned a TV and radio station. And he said, I don't know, I was 50. He said, I don't know if I can get you on camera, but I said, I don't care about being on camera. I'm perfectly happy back at the camera. I'm, I can do production. I can do writing. I can do run a newsroom or work in a newsroom. Now she's 50 years old, and as a woman, she's thinking, you know, there's the opportunities are getting uh, more sparse for me in television as a woman. Out of the blue, she got a phone call, like at 6.30 in the morning at, this, at her friend's house, at, at Jean Baum's house. So I was on my way out there, yeah. And I was staying with Sacred Heart Nuns uh, at the university. And I got a call about 6 in the morning on a Saturday morning. And a voice said, this is Robert Highland." Well, that didn't mean anything to me. And he said, I'm very interested in hiring you. And I thought, who is this? And I said, well, f for what? For my radio station. I said, I don't think radio can afford me. I'm sorry. Uh, and he said... Uh, and I had at that time, I don't know, three kids in college or something. And he said, I can afford anything. So I thought, oh, that's good. So he said, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send a car for you. I said, when? I said, what time is it? He said, it's 6.30. And I said, you're at your office at 6.30 on Saturday morning? Yes. 
I thought, this must be a good boss who's here Saturday morning at 6.30, for heaven's sake. So he said, I'll send a car for you. So I said, all right. When? He said, right now. It's on its way. Anne would later explain, as part of an interview in the book The Mighty Mox, that her friend Jean had given her audition tape to a salesman at KMOX who found its way to general manager Robert Hyland. And she's like, uh, okay. So she got in a vehicle that he sent. In those days, there was no Uber. It was kind of exciting to have a private car sent for you. And rode down to KMOX Radio and came to see Bob Hyland. So he sends a big limousine. And in the back, there is a cold iced orange juice, a hot coffee, and a fresh Danish. So I thought, this is a guy who knows how to treat a gal. Uh-huh. So I interviewed him that day, and he was very anxious to hire me. And I thought, why is he so anxious? Well, it turns out that CBS, which owned the station, had said to him, you better get a woman on your staff because we're getting a lot of pressure from fair employment. Why don't you have a woman? Well, I didn't know that, of course. So I thought it was just me. (laughs) I thought it was my charm. So then she went back to her friend's house and said, uh, what do you think about this? this It's a huge station. I mean, it's the biggest one on the air in St. Louis. So then she met him again. So he said, well, uh, can you, uh, come, uh, let, let's hear what you sound like on the air. And uh, I said, well, I'm on my way to Kansas City. Well, you can't go to Kansas City. We have to do this first. And I said, no, I made an appointment. I have to go to Kansas City. And it was Saturday, as I say. So he said, well, what about tonight? Can you work tonight? <laughs> so I said, oh, uh, yeah, I guess so. So I went in and thank God, as I say, for the, the crew. The producer, the director, the board man, they were so nice. Because I didn't know you had to push the calls in and do this and that. I didn't know how to do any of that. Because I'd been in television where you don't have any of that. And so they were so nice to me. And I got through the night, and there was a big red phone on the desk, and that was his. And he called up and said, you're hired. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) A, I'm not looking for a job in radio. B, we haven't discussed money. Money is no object, he said. So I said, well, I'm going to Kansas City Monday. (laughs) So I said, no, no, you're not. You're coming to visit me Monday. So I never did go to Kansas City. And in 1976, Ann started her new career at one of the most powerful stations in the country and as the first woman in talk radio in the St. Louis area. More of Ann Keefe in the stories from those who knew her coming up next on this KMOX radio special. This is a special presentation of KMOX Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Recker, and we're looking back at the work of Ann Keefe. And I want you to know that you're one of a kind, too, Ann, and St. Louis is going to feel the same loss when you retire and leave KMOX. Starting a second career in 1976, adapting to a new city, and gaining the trust of the listeners seemed to happen all at once for Ann. We fell into an interesting crowd in St. Louis with her work on the air and her acceptance by the community. And God loves St. Louis. They embraced my mom after the after you know the first few months of having her on the air. She had a following. Women were surprised to hear someone on the air regularly at KMOX uh, who sounded like them. And uh, 
So she got a lot of fan mail, a lot of support, a lot of invitations to for various functions because they were uh, really embracing her into the community. And I think, again, because nobody ever said what their political beliefs were, that nobody had anything to not like you about, if you would. Women particularly have been my great uh, audience because I was the first one to say, you don't have to vote the way your husband does or even think the way he does. You've got to know your husband, and if he's a certain kind of guy, you don't tell him what you think, but you have a right to think whatever you like. And if he's the kind of guy that'll take it, lay it on the line and say, wait a minute, there are two of us here. Uh, and women really appreciated that. As she was finding her voice in an audience in talk radio, she was also adapting to a new style. She fairly you know, quickly got a name for herself as this uh, interesting woman. She uh, came on a bit strong at first. So back in New York, you're kind of a little more assertive in your interviews. You're a little more aggressive in your stance. And she had to back off that a little bit because the Midwest radio wasn't quite ready for that kind of uh, personalities dealing with uh, the folks they were interviewing with. So she, 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 uh, changed her style a little bit. If you listened to KMOX and had the chance to hear an interview from Ann Keefe, she would sound confident on air. But it wasn't always like that behind the microphone. I would wake up every morning thinking, oh God, do I know enough to go on the air today? And who am I interviewing? Ooh, I'm not sure I can do it. No, I'm a very neurotic person. <laughs> uh, that's why the cigarettes and the whiskey say, no, no, I was 50, you're right, and I never was a pretty woman. Let's be honest here. I was a very ordinary-looking woman with an ordinary shape and an ordinary face. And I wasn't ugly, but I sure wasn't gorgeous. And they were hiring young, pretty women anchors, as you know. Mm. Older men are okay, but not older women. And I went to one man uh, that a friend of mine in St. Louis sent me to, an alumni of Sacred Heart, as a matter of fact. And he said to me, he was the head of a TV station, and he said to me... Uh, I like your tape. Uh, I think you're probably your credentials are impeccable. Uh, but he said, I'll be honest. If you repeat this, I'll deny it. But you're too old. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I understand that. He said, but I'll tell you what. This man at KMOX is a crazy man. But if he hires you, and he'll do one of two things. He'll either fire you in the first two or three weeks, so don't buy a house or anything. Or he said, you'll be a star. And he'll give you anything you want. If when he decides you're a star, then he'll pay you to be a star. But she was a legend. I mean, she was not only a legend. Now that I had the privilege of seeing her whole life, I didn't realize how much she was already a legend in St. Louis by 88, just because she was such a, a one really amazing and talented and wise broadcaster. But it turns out she had had an entire career um, which I later learned about of almost three decades, where she was one of the pioneers in news broadcast in the country. Look, I said, I can't do this. I'm bringing a high school kid with me. I've got two kids in college. He said, take a chance with him. And if he turns you down out, I will take you in. You won't be in front of the camera, but I'll find a place for you. And that gave me the courage to try it. You start out at the station, and he, he was... He, Mr. Highland was a fascinating fellow. He would try people. At, 
he's going to put you in at the four o'clock to eight o'clock slot and see how that works. And well, maybe from eight to 10. And so he moved her around quite a bit and she was willing to do whatever he asked. I started working with Anne back in 1982. That was my first year here. I was working the Sunday night shift and she had a Sunday night talk show. So whenever I was working, she was there in the newsroom preparing for her show. So we started working, you know, together in 1982. I started producing her show probably a couple years later and stayed with her right up until her retirement. Boy, she she would fly through, I don't know, 10 books a week, something crazy. And then she had a, a person who was, uh, uh, she would identify who she wanted to talk to, who was in the news, what was going on. And she would ask, I think Fred Bottomer at the time was helping her out, book, uh, being booking, uh, booking folks on the air for her. And then, of course, if a guest didn't show up, what do you do? You know, how do you fill that hour that you thought you had to go? So she learned early on that you pull out a whole bunch of newspaper clippings in the day and there was no Internet. And you have a whole bunch of backup material in a file that you could always pull out and say, let's talk about UFOs. That always lights the phone up. And, uh, you know, anything that would just keep the show going because the show must go on no matter how you felt. Putting together a show way back then was really different. Uh, You didn't have the Internet. So what you had to do every day, we got about 10 to 15 newspapers delivered to us. So we would open the newspapers in the morning and flip through page after page of the daily newspapers from the L.A. Times, San Francisco Chronicle, Chicago Tribune, New York Times, Washington Post, just tons of newspapers. And we would look for topic ideas and story ideas and people to interview. So after, you know, a couple hours in the morning of going through those, we'd have an idea of what we wanted to do. And our hands were just always covered with ink. So that was how, you know, pre-Internet, that's how we would do it. And then we'd always have to make calls uh, using, you know, the phones. You couldn't email anyone. You'd have to call directory assistance in every city you wanted and try and get a phone number for the people that you wanted. So that took a lot of time as well. When we come back, more examples of Ann Keefe and her unique interviewing talents on this KMOX radio special. is a KMOX Radio special presentation. Looking back at the KMOX Radio legend, Ann Keefe. On air, she was both authoritative and fun. I mean, she could handle the light interviews as well as the heavy interviews without a problem, and I think that's why she was so loved by all the listeners. She was a, an independent thinker. I mean, she, she was uh, not an ideologue. She was a great... And, and I really tried to learn from her. I still remember uh, her instruction about shut the blank up and listen. <laughs> listen to what the person you're interviewing is saying and make your next question about what that person said. And and uh, she was really, I, I guess that was probably her number one broadcast skill was as an interviewer. For example, as part of an international connection with Russia, and, you can hear, does not hold back and challenges the narratives. These connections would later be picked up by C-SPAN. In January of 1989, KMOX began a monthly exchange with Moscow Radio, in which listeners from St. Louis can talk to a host in Moscow and vice versa. 
The programs feature hosts in each studio with guests and translators and are broadcast throughout the Soviet Union. Uh, uh, Joe Adamov, I, I think it's difficult for Americans to understand not allowing people to leave a country. Uh, in our country, anybody that wants to go live somewhere else can do so. Many people come to this country, they work, and then they go home to their own country uh, in their old age. Uh, many retirees from this country live other places. Why, uh, we don't understand why the Soviet doesn't let people leave who wish to. Well, why do you think if we let out 270,000 people, why should we uh, hold back, say, only a few hundred? Well, what good will that do us? If these people had access to classified information of some, some kind, or they have relatives who don't want to see them go, those are the only reasons. You realize all this talk is only about a few hundred people, whereas 270,000 have left. I'll give you an example. I have a friend of mine. He left three months ago. Uh, he uh, was a colonel in the Chemical Corps. He had two daughters living in the United States for nine years. He was refused an exit visa, and finally he got it. And in March of this year, I've known him since 1933, finally he left. But he was refused for about nine years because he was a colonel in the Soviet Army. Could I ask you I mean, a question? Uh, that's all it amounts to. Uh, now, as for, as for Mr. Barnes saying that he doesn't know any American uh, political prisoners, we've had, and this was a big campaign for his release in the assembly, Mr. Peltier, who was a fighter for Indian rights, and he's been given two life sentences on a framed-up charge. How do you know it's a framed-up charge? I mean, charge? Uh, because they have been there. I mean, I don't know the details of it. I'm not a lawyer, but we've had many articles in the press and many articles by whole committees and whole organizations in the States. I suppose you never heard about it. Uh, that, that are fighting for his release. You see, th this comes as a surprise to you. Yes, no, no, it's not a surprise. Wait a minute, it's not a surprise. It's in our papers, we do know about it, but the public here has perceived that this is a man who's being held for breaking our law, not for what he thinks or what he says. Well, you know, uh, you know what a lawyer, to a lawyer, what, what breaking laws means. All right, let's uh, take another question. You know, I think it's because she did her homework. And I used to love to go down to Studio B and just watch her work. Mm -hmm. I mean, she would be in there holding court with Dick Gebhardt or somebody, and it was amazing to watch her work. And a lot of it was off the cuff, but I do think it was because she did her research. She did her homework. Well, Murray, ever since I was a little girl, we've been talking about cleaning up the mobs in America, and we don't seem to have done it very well. Is it a realistic goal? Well, I would say to... The credit of uh, the, the F, even the, F, the FBI, the federal federal prosecutors, the New York City police, which have done a tremendous amount of intelligence gathering and developing cases against the heads of the New York families. It's true that the major figures in organized crime in the New York area, which translates into the heads of organized crime in America. She gained this reputation throughout her career here, and it really took off as an even-handed, informed person. And what she did was she did her homework. When you have an author on your show, uh, so what, and, and, and so where she ended up was, she was typically doing, I think she did the 10, maybe nine to noon or 10 to one slot. And then she got moved in the afternoon slot, like one to three, one to four or something like that. And in those days they had engineers. You didn't have to run your own board or anything like that. You were the on-air personality. You came in and made sure your throat was right, make sure your homework was done knew who you were talking to, and you, all you had to deal with with a mic. I think these days folks have to uh, work their own boards and, you know, work the commercial buttons and look for the time and all that kind of stuff. And in those days, it was much more like when mom started out in radio. You had a producer and you had an engineer, and they were in the booth and they were pointing at you in five, four, three, two, one kind of stuff. I never 
knew the answer to anything. That's why I was a good broadcaster. I asked questions. Nowadays, everybody makes a statement. Uh, now, isn't it true, Ann, that in uh, 1952 you did blah, blah, and the guests can say yes or no? <laughs> That's all. KMOX newswoman Nan Wyatt was curious about this approach. Do you ever feel, this is something that's been kind of bugging me lately, that we don't, is it a problem that we don't know the answers? I mean, sometimes I think, boy, we raise the questions, we, we talk about the issues, I go out and I look around and I see the problems, and sometimes it's so overwhelming, it's like, what good are we anyway? Well, the sad thing is that even after you've asked the questions of several experts who come from different points of view on a given subject, I mean, let's take NAFTA or the health plan or uh, changing the desegregation plan in St. Louis, even after I've read everything I can find and even after I've made a list of the questions that, that I really want answered, and when I'm all through, I still don't know the answers to those questions. And I don't know whether that's because... People are not very clear in their answers or whether they don't choose to really tell you the truth up front. I just don't know the answer to that. I, I think correspondents are better interviews, uh, in my view, than most experts because they have no agenda. They're saying, I see it this way and I see it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the sad thing is that when the program's over, I very often don't know any more about the subject than I did going into it. And I used to take tapes home with myself and because we tape everything here at KMOX. And I used to think that it, I approached this subject wrong. And so I take the tape home and I toss it into my cassette player and I listened to the interview to see where I went wrong. Where did I not ask the question clearly? And even when I pursue it and say, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. Could you explain that to me more simply? Or are you saying this is so or that's so? I still don't get an answer. So it isn't that I didn't ask the questions. It's that I just didn't get an answer. More Ann Keefe memories when we return on this KMOX radio special. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. This is a special presentation from KMOX Radio. Looking back at the work of KMOX radio legend Ann Keith, I'm your host, Ryan Recker. As a pioneer in the industry, KMOX does the unexpected when it's called for. Keeping you informed is our prime responsibility. One of the fascinating things about her, I think, was she worked hard. She did her homework. When she had someone to interview, she would actually read the entire book. And when the first one came on the air... Instead of showing up how much she knew by saying, you know, and in your chapter of so-and-so, you say that this is this and this and that. And, and is it true? I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. But blah, 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 blah. No, no. She would say, you know, in chapter three, you make an interesting point about what it is uh, to, to uh, be suffering from these consequences. Can you elaborate on that? And she would get the, her, her style, and I think the style of KMOX, was to get your guest to talk. Not for you to talk. That's Ann's son, Chris, now KMOX newsman Bob Hamilton and former KMOX manager Clint Hasse. She would be hard on some of these uh, that people didn't expect. These senators and ambassadors would come in and think, oh, it's a woman, I don't have to worry. And she'd be hard on them. She would bear down and do a lot. Real radio is very personal, as you know. I mean, it's one-on-one. 
And at the same time, it, it can be kind of the town hall forum that is just ongoing. Anne would talk to and interview anyone and everyone, from politicians to authors to community leaders and listeners, as you'll hear from Anne in her former producer, Fred Bottomer. I hated talking to stars because they're really mostly not very interesting people, which is why they're stars. I mean, movie stars, theater stars, mm -hmm. they, they just giggle a lot and, and uh, give you dumb... Or they're insulted by your question, like, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't mean anything. So I don't like them. I like politicians. I'm big on politics. I don't side with any of them. I think they're all thieves and rogues, but they're interesting characters. Uh, I love authors. It was everyone. It was newsmakers, primarily newsmakers, but it didn't have to be national. It, it could be local newsmakers as well. And then she just liked regular people. If we could find, you know, some good local topic to talk about, we would do that as well. I mean, everything interested her because she had such a wide ranging career. You know, she wasn't, you know, just a radio reporter or a radio talk show host. She was a TV reporter. She was a TV anchor. She was a professor up in Rochester at a college class. She had two parents who were teachers, but she said probably she credits more than anything for her love of learning and reading. She always credits her, her professor parents for that. So it was just everything and anything she'd love to talk about. You know, speaking of Ann Keefe, I mean, she always would say things on the air like, you know, it's amazing what we learn from our listeners, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's what it's about. One time, it was during some sort of a Mideast crisis, and I don't know what it was, but I had scheduled a reporter from the Jerusalem Post to do an interview from another Mideastern hotel. And so we had to call him at the front desk of the hotel and get him on the air with Ann. And Ann started interviewing him, and his answers just didn't add up. They They were nothing like what we would thought we would have from this reporter. So it took maybe a question or two, and Ann kind of figured out that someone had intercepted the call at the hotel desk lobby and faked their way through the interview with Ann. But uh, Ann quickly figured it out and politely um, hung up, and then we just went on with the show. And, and it made, you know, quite an interesting topic for the rest of the show as well. I took tours to Europe so that I could go for free. So I went a couple times a year, and Mr. Highland would let me go because he thought that was publicity for the station, okay? And he never wanted to go anyplace, so he was glad to have me go. So I was always nervous, though, because if he hired somebody good while I was gone, like as not, my office would be gone when I got back. And one of these times when I'd been away, the guest that they lined up for me that Monday morning, or afternoon, I was on 1 to 3 then, was Ann Perry. Ann Perry is a novelist who writes English mysteries, and I'm a big fan of Ann Perry. So I was tickled that she was going to be on. So I went on the air with her in our big studio, and we chatted about her portrayal of women in the 1990s and uh, her view of politics and her view of this and that. I thought it was a pretty good interview. So when I got off the air, I went through, walked through the newsroom to go to my office, and the kids in the newsroom all said, Oh, God, Keith, you really did it this time. And I said, What? What did I do? And they said, The phones are off the hooks here in the newsroom, and, the, and they're calling Robert Highland, and the switchboard's going crazy. And I said, What did I say? Because I really didn't know what I said. 
Well, what I, I didn't know was, while I was in Europe, in all the newspapers, they carried the story about how Anne Perry and her childhood friend murdered the mother of the childhood friend in Australia where she lived, and that she had indeed gone to prison for that, or whatever you do with 14-year-olds in Australia. I didn't know that. So, of course, I didn't ask her about it. So it fell to two camps. One camp said, uh, why didn't she talk about that? The other camp said, that Lady Ann Keefe, what a wonderful person she is. She never even brought up that scandal and just talked to Ann Perry about what she should have. So I came out a winner and the newsroom kids said, Keefe, you did it again. We still have a lot to get to on this radio special. When we come back, our time with Bruce Bradley, and later, Jack Carney, Bob Costas, and many more memories of KMOX radio legend Ann Keefe. is a KMOX Radio special presentation. This hour is all about KMOX legend Ann Keith. Hello again, this is Ann Keith helping celebrate the 20th anniversary of At Your Service. 20 years ago today, the broadcast industry took a new direction with the all talk or information format. It started at KMOX, which throughout the years brought the newsmakers to the public. So she... Um did that for 76 through 93, I guess. She had a, a they, as I say, Highland kind of tested her out on various things for, for a little while. Like she might be on with Bob Hardy for like a few days. And, and then they do no, we're going to go back to Bob Hardy by himself. And then she was by herself for a long time. Oh, the chap's name is Bruce Bradley, an interesting, fun, smart man who was a uh, very interesting when he came to St. Louis, he had been a jack of all trades in radio. I, I think, as, as everybody had in the day, they'd spun records, they had done talk radio and things like that. And and as you know, talk radio was at, uh, basically started out in at KMOX Radio, but probably by the time the 70s and 80s were all around, there was lots of talk radio going on. So he came and was an interesting fellow, and that Highland put him on with my mom to see, you know, what what that team would look like, and it took off. People love the Ann, uh, the show with Ann and uh, and with him, and they um, had a great time. Yeah, I think we ought to mention that we both come from Rochester, from the from the liberal east, the liberal east, yeah, from the liberal decadent east. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, I didn't call anybody in Rochester, but did you call anybody in Rochester? Yeah, I talked to my youngsters, and uh, they said, well, they recorded. And weren't too excited about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's. Uh, uh, we're more excited about our jobs than our relatives are. Oh yeah. Until my, it comes time for them to borrow money. But you know, it keeps you excited. humble. It keeps you very humble, mm-hmm. especially when you're on television and you're ready to go off to do the new, to anchor the news. And one of your kids says to you, "What's wrong with your hair, mom?" <laughs> and you say, uh, "I don't know. What? I don't know. It just looks funky." And you go to work, and the lights go on, and the teleprompter starts to roll, and you say, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Topping the news tonight, and you think, I can just see everybody out there saying, Harry, look at her hair. Is that funky? So in radio, we don't have that problem. Some of the other things I remember about Anne is that uh, she loved being on the air with Bruce Bradley at 3 in the afternoons. The two of them would get together. 
right after her talk show and right before his afternoon drive show. They would share an hour just talking about things. And that was just so much fun. Listeners loved that. That was so funny. And that was one of the joys of her life. Once again, it is partly sunny in St. Louis, 68 degrees out at Spirit. It's 68 at Lambert. We have 71 downtown at KMOX. I'm Mary Phelan. That's KMOX Radio News. It's 1013, and that's time for a special edition of Ann and Bruce. Is it sexist to say, Ann, because I rely on you for my judgment, that both you and Mary look smashing today, that you look wonderful, that you look good, you look better than Deborah Norville, and you're more successful than she is most certainly? That certainly is sexist. It is sexist? Yes. All right. But I like it. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. Host says, rather huffily, Mayor Brown needs to be reminded of a few facts of American life. Everyone has the right to live anywhere. Well, baloney. Or somewhere. Well, I mean, let's grant somewhere. Somewhere, yes, okay. but not anywhere. Otherwise, I would live in Clayton or Ladue if I wanted to. Or move to Westchester County and commute. Or Wentzville. <laughs> yes. Or some, some glorious place like that. What I'm saying is that we don't have the right to live anywhere. We don't have the right to have all these things that people have been saying we've had the right to have, there just isn't enough But wait money. a minute. We do have the right to live somewhere. We have the right to life, which includes having somewhere to live, doesn't it? And enough to eat and enough basic medical care so at least we don't start plagues again in America. The we per- need that. Huh? The pursuit of happiness. Pursuit. No, no, the pursuit of survival, I think, is very significant. And what concerns me is that it seems, uh, I agree with George Will uh, and his analysis of Barone. I think we are in a phase of looking at morality rather than economy because we don't want to face the economy. We don't want to talk about the deficit. We don't want to talk about the uh, trade imbalance. We don't want to talk about those things. So we talk about morality instead. What concerns me is instead of talking about those street people, those women with children living in doorways or in cars, uh, the young people who can't afford a house, the poor education system we have, the poor health system we have. Instead of those becoming moral issues, we're talking about burning the flag, which somebody did years ago once. We're talking about rock lyrics. We're talking about uh, abortion without dealing with the basic premise of why we need it to begin with. That's what concerns me. It's the wrong moral issues, I think. There was one winter's night. She was doing talk shows uh, at night. And one winter's night, bitterly cold, and homeless people were being found frozen on the street. And it was just awful. It was, it was terrible. Coldest cold snap we had. I was doing these stories and, and about uh, so, many, so many homeless people were found in the uh, outside Keel Auditorium. And uh, the people were dying. And people were being found in their houses. Their furnaces had gone off. Or older people would not use the furnace because they cost too much to heat the house. So they would bundle up and stay in their unheated homes. And then occasionally they'd find them dead, frozen in, in their house. And it was terrible. It was, it was happening all the time. And Keith heard one of those newscasts and said, Bob, this is terrible. I said, yeah, and I've never seen anything like this. And she said, well, I will take care of that. So she was, uh, Anne was Catholic too. And she had lots of, uh, friends in the church. So she called Sister Pat Kelly, who was a nun who kind of worked with the uh, homeless or, or the poor. She had Pat Kelly come in. They did an interview, talked about the program, and uh, that's how the uh, homeless thing began going in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Ann Keefe said, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to do this. 
and she found the people to do it, and it's kind of still going on. So even though those equal time laws don't apply anymore, we thought it would be nice and polite, since we had the Democrats on, we'll have the Republicans on. Could you tell the difference? Well, ne- no, because neither <laughs> one was worried. That's right. Neither one was Everything worried. Everything was wonderful. It was all right. Yeah. 436-7900-1800-347-1120. You're on the air. Hello. Yeah, Bruce, I'm after you today. Okay. What are you saying that we're all conservatives here in the Midwest? We're not. No, I didn't say we were. I said that Midwest is, con- is considered to be a bastion of conservatism. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't agree at all. And if you keep that up, we're going to send you back to New York because you're probably a closet Mets fan. <laughs> <laughs> call me anything but that. Call, oh, me, a, yeah, that's call cruel. me a closet pinko. Well, it's better than being a Cubs fan. No, I, just, I really believe, though, that your station is pretty conservative. Uh, most of the people who call in, I know they call you liberals, the people who do call in. But oh, yeah, they give us great trouble. listening audience, they are more conservative, but I don't think the whole area is that way. Mainly southern Missouri is, but I wouldn't say St. Louis is. But you think the younger folk are not so conservative as their parents? Well, the younger people with more money are conservative. Yeah, because they want to keep it. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> and they should share it. When you go home for family reunions, can you sit down with mom, pop, aunts and uncles and speak your piece and say what you really think about what they're talking about? Yeah, I'm usually the minority in that group, though. Yeah, they throw I'm, you out, huh? I'm a liberal. Ah, well. Proud of it. That's no. a dirty word out here, isn't it? No, it's not. You, you mean when somebody says to you, you're a liberal and probably a feminist as well, you don't cringe? No, no, I don't. Oh, good. I'll defend Good to meet you today. Good. Was you never knew about Camwex personalities, including my mom, were they a Democrat or a Republican? Where did they stand? Were they a liberal or conservative? They never expressed their personal views at all while they were on the air. Now, they might say that sounds odd or that's interesting, but they never would say that's, oh, that's, that's wrong. That's, that's stupid. In fact, you're not American. They, they never talked about it. And what they did over the years was their whole show approach was to let the guest be the guest. And let the guest educate or inform or entertain the audience of the KMOX listener. So that's, I think, why it was fun. You know, she she was a, uh, I, I would say, a liberal, but not a doctrinaire liberal. One of the original members of Donnybrook in a St. Louis Post-Dispatch columnist, Bill McClellan. I mean, you know, when, when the, the liberals were too far out on something, you know, on Donnybrook, she would always, you know, call them out for being, you know, wrong about something i mean it you know her inclinations i think were populist you know not in the sense of like trump a populist i mean she wasn't trying to you know a nativist or whatever it would you know she she favored uh working people and she liked unions and in in that sense she was a democrat i think she would have been more comfortable running as a Democrat than as a Republican. But, you know, on on the show, I mean, you know, she would take, you you never knew exactly what side Ann Keefe was going to take. A a friend and I unsuccessfully tried to talk Ann into running for Senate, you know, and I I forget what year it was. And it was probably against Kit Bond, but I'm not 100% sure. I know it was against an incumbent Republican. And uh, we told her, you know, You've already got all this name recognition, and you'd just be great in a debate. I mean, I couldn't imagine anyone d- debating Ann Keefe. You know, they'd end up like me. She'd go, is that what you think in that kind of arch way she had? And the person, no, no, that's not what I think. And I thought that, that it would be almost unfair to have Ann 
uh, you know, debating somebody for office. And then the national press would just adore her. I mean, they everybody would be enamored of Ann Keefe. You know, we had big plans, but we couldn't talk Ann into doing it. I mean, she listened a couple times, but, you know, it was all too much, and, and she said she didn't have the energy. And we said, well, you know, you only have to serve one term. But, but uh, you know, you couldn't ever talk Ann into doing anything. Stories with Jack Carney, Bob Costas, Dan Deardorff, and Donnybrook. A lot to get to on this radio special, looking back at one of the legendary trailblazers of this area, Ann Keefe. This is a KMOX radio special presentation. Dedicated to the longtime KMOX host, Ann Keefe, I'm Ryan Recker. Ann left lasting impressions on the audience, but there's one story that often comes up. Another thing that I think I'll always remember about Ann and her broadcasting career at KMOX probably came in the mid-80s when she and Dan Deardorff and Bob Costas went to Keele Auditorium on a Friday night to call a night of professional wrestling. Here's KMOX legend Bob Costas and Dan Deardorff. We did so many kind of offbeat things. Dan Deardorff and I broadcast a wrestling match from the arena between Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff with Bobby the Brain Heenan acting as Mr. Wonderful's manager. Uh, This was before wrestling took a dark and unappealing turn uh, in my view, back when it was just kind of good-natured, slapstick fun. And I don't know how long it had been since a wrestling match, that kind of wrestling match, had been broadcast on the radio, not on television. I don't know how we talked Mr. Highland into allowing us to do this, but the, at the arena, the arena is, the old arena now, is sold out. And it's wrestling night. The feature match is Hulk Hogan against Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, who's managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan. So somehow we convinced Bob Hyland to let this be broadcast live on Camwex. So we make this big spectacle out of it. It's a three-man booth. It's Bob Costas and myself in tuxedos. Outfitted in top hats and tails, and we arrived in a stretch limousine as if it was a tremendous formal affair. And Ann Keefe in a ball gown. Ann Keefe looks like she's going to somewhere at the White House, and we are sitting ringside doing this. The hopester asks the crowd if it's time to apply the finishing touches. Off the ropes, and Bobby the Brain Heenan reaches into the ring. And up ends the holster. Bobby the Brain Heenan now picked up by the holster. The holster holding Heenan overhead. The circulation cut off. Now Orndorff attacks the holster from behind. Heenan is dragged into the fray. And now it's one against two. Oh, this is this has happened before where Bobby the Brain Heenan has been a factor in a wrestling match. Oh, whoa, Orndorff kicking and stomping the referee. Mayhem in the ring. 
the referee trying to step in between Orndorff and Hogan, declaring that it's unfair to go two against one, and instead the referee is belted to the mat by Orndorff. And now it's Orndorff and manager against Hulk Hogan. He grasps them both by the hair. Oh. The Hulkster now butts the head together in three stooges style. <laughs> and both Orndorff oh. and Heenan and go to the mat. the weasel. Bobby. Right Bobby, in our lap. Bobby the brain Heenan in an attempt to escape. Grabbed by the pants by Hulk. Dragged back into the ring. And, and, and Bob gets up in the ring. And I got to tell you, one of the it, this, this was the only moment that really made me sad. We were on radio and not television, because it is some sight to see Bob Costas standing next to Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it's, but we, honest to God, uh, we had a lot of fun back then. It was a lot of good times. And then we wound up at the White Castle on Vandevenor and Shoto at about two. Two o'clock in the morning with Bobby the Brain and Hulk Hogan in tow. Uh, and we were broadcasting from every location. We'd get on the phone with Jim White from wherever we were and let him know the progress of, of our meandering trip through St. Louis. And we'd say, okay, we're here. And then a bunch of people would show up who were listening. They'd show up to try to get their picture taken with Hulk Hogan or get an autograph. And then when we finally wound up in the White Castle at Vandevenor and Shoto, there was like a bum who had passed out on the Formica table with a cold cup of coffee at his side. And he might have been there for three hours for all we know. And I remember him lifting his head off the table and peering at these two guys in tuxedos, one of them the size of Dan Deardorff, the other the size of me, and Hulk Hogan in his tearaway muscle shirt. The guy looked... His eyes darted around. He didn't say a word. His head then plopped back down on the tabletop. And we were broadcasting all of this to uh, to a rapt St. Louis audience. That was so much fun to hear. And after the matches, the three of them met up with the wrestlers and did interviews from inside their limo for the post-match coverage. That was so much fun to listen to. And always had fun on and off the air. As you can tell... With Jack Carney. And Mason and Carp's entire stock of winter coats and jackets, Jack, as well as many other items of nationally branded winter wearing apparel, are all greatly reduced. But the dog. That's the wolves calling. Why the is it your voice say, is deeper than mine? <laughs> the weathermen say there's lots of cold weather ahead, as you can tell from those wolves. So come into one of Mason and Carp's stores nearest you and take advantage of these big savings. Yes, now, for the, ladies, that are jeans, aren't they? for the ladies, Masons and Carps are participating in the nationally advertised anniversary sale of Hanes Pantyhose. All your favorite styles are sale price now till January 27th at your Mason stores in Baldwin, St. Charles, Missouri, and Carp Store in Granite City, Illinois. I would never carp with Annabelle, would you? No, I certainly would not. Never. No. And Keith, you you done. I thought she was going to. I thought she was I say let's go sitting up there. Yes, I think at least. And here are your Hanes for both of you. <laughs> nice talk. Well done, well done. You would hear Anne as part of Jack's comedy bits, including As Your Stomach Turns. This one included Miss Blue. As Your Stomach Turns, a dramatic production that asks us each a different question and always supplies a new and provocative answer. As Your Stomach Turns, stars Jack Carney in the title role as Tiki Jack, soldier of fortune, handsome opportunist, 39-year-old citizen of the world, a man known at the gaming tables of Monte Carlo. 
the finest clubs in London and Paris, and the most remote islands of the South Pacific. Friend to kings and brigands alike, Carney, because of his personal charm and magnificent physique, is respected and revered by all who cross his path, except, of course, by those who prey on the weak and the frightened of the world. For Kearney is a friend of the downtrodden and oppressed, and his life should serve as an example to all of us as we listen to today's episode of As Your Stomach Turns. Howdy, Marshal. Howdy. Howdy, Miss Penelope. Got a little frog there. <laughs> Howdy, Miss Penelope. I think it's a... Prairie dog. Oh. Howdy, Miss Penelope. How's business at the old Sour Gut Saloon? That Sour Dose Saloon, Marshal, and everything's just fine, just fine. In fact, there's a new dancer here just in from Dodge City. I thought you might like to meet. Miss Penelope, why is it that you're always trying to fix me up with every beautiful girl that comes through Silex? Well, Marshal, big, strong, handsome, 39-year-old bachelor like yourself needs a lady friend. You're too much alone. Just ain't natural. Look here, Miss Penelope. Don't fret about me. I've got the law to worry about here in Silex. I just ain't a hankering for no lady friends. Well, all right, Marshal, it's up to you. But if you ever do change your mind, just say, Hey, Marshal, there's the gal I was telling you about. This here's Little Egypt from Dodge City. Little Egypt, say hello to Marshal Tiki Jack. Howdy, Marshal. Say, ain't we met before? Not as I know of, Little Egypt. You sure got a face that a fellow would remember. And that ain't all, huh, Marshal? Please, Miss Penelope... You are embarrassing the marshal. No, she ain't, Little Egypt. Miss Penelope and me has been friends for a long time. It's just that I got a lot on my mind today. What is it, Marshal? Yeah, Tiki Jack, what's bugging you? Well, ladies, you've probably heard tell of Dirty George Allen. That snake? That rat. Your that scoundrel. Pettifogger. That filth. That skunk. Then you've heard of him. I ain't sure. I me either. Well, anyway... Dirty George has got himself let out of prison and he's on his way here now to get the man who sent him up. And I guess you know who that is. How terrible, Tiki Jack. Have you tried to raise a posse? Well, Miss Penelope, I tried, but there ain't nobody who wants to go up against Dirty George. <sighs> Excuse me, Marshal, do you have a light? Sure, old timer. Here you are. Drat, I'm so nervous I don't know my... Six gun from my bick. Shucks, Marshal. Nobody's perfect. Marshal, what time's this no good bushwhacking rotten snake coming to town? Wanna try bushwhacking again? <laughs> yeah. Bushwhacking rotten snake coming to town. Who? What's rotten? T -O -N. Rotten. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Who? <laughs> There's an owl here. Who? <laughs> Dirty George Allen. Well, you can't blame me for not recognizing who you was talking about. You don't very often hear anything nice said about Dirty George. Hey, Marshal, you got the time? The time, old timer? Sure, here, I got the time. Damn, I did it again. I don't know my watch from my Derringer. I'm so nervous. Marshal? Marshal? There's a stranger riding into town. What does Dirty George look like? Is he tall in the saddle? As I remember, he wore elevator Levi's. Oh, Jack, Jack, I remember how tall you used to be in the saddle. Was he really, really missing up? Yes, but then his blisters broke. Listen here, both of you. 
I want you two out of here. It just ain't safe with Dirty George in town. You go with the piano player. I can't tell you how many women he's rustled and cattle he's raped. Are you sure you got that right? It don't matter, because here he comes right through the door, now. Well, well, Marshal Tacky Jack. Tiki Jack. Uh, Tiki Jack, the rat that sent me to prison and killed all my brothers and my father and two uncles and burned my ranch. You ain't mad, are you, Dirty George? You betcha I'm mad, Turkey Jack. And I'd been here a whole lot sooner if I hadn't run into a herd of cattle outside of town. What'd you do to him? I rustled him, stupid. I told you you had that wrong. Maybe he's changed his act. Yeah. Cut out that palavering now with the women folk. I'm here to settle an old score, Tiki Jack. And I can tell you right now, only one of us is leaving this here saloon alive. I see you've heard about our food. Ma'am, I must ask you and that funny-looking boy in a swimsuit to leave there. I'm gonna be a gunfight here. I ain't no boy. I'm little Egypt, the dancing girl from Dodge City. Well, could've fooled me. What do you expect in Silex chorus line? Beg pardon, ladies. This here matter of honor won't take but just a minute. Now, Marshal. Hold on, Dirty George. Listen, uh, <coughs> wouldn't you like me to get out my lighter and light your cigar? I ain't smoking one. Oh, well, uh, how about the time? Wouldn't you like me to get out my watch and tell you what time it is? I don't care what time it is. I ain't got no appointments today with nobody but you. Well, uh, how about my fountain pen? Let me get out my fountain pen and give you Little Egypt's unlisted phone number. I'll tell you what, Tacky Jack. Tiki you just, Jack. Uh, Tiki Jack, you just go ahead and do that. You ain't gonna need no phone numbers when this here gunfight's over. Okay, Dirty George. Here. All right, you ask for it. shoot him down like that, Dirty George. Well, how come he squirted ink all over my new chaps like that? Well, Dirty George, the way I figured, he just changed his act once too often. of much-needed public service, KMOX has presented another inspirational episode of As Your Stomach Turns. Join us again when we rejoin Jack Carney in the title role as Tiki Jack, handsome 39-year-old soldier of fortune, respected by all who know him, enemy of those who prey on the weak and helpless, the lonely and afraid, the downtrodden and oppressed. Tiki Jack, whose life should serve as an example to all of us on As Your Stomach Turns. This is Bob Hardy speaking, and I really didn't want to do this. More of the Ann Keith Radio Special when we return. This is a KMOX Radio Special presentation. Telling the story of beloved KMOX Radio legend Ann Keith. Interesting car- folks on the station. Jack Carney, uh, Bob Hardy, uh, of course, Jack Buck, uh, Bob Costas came up through there, and all a litany of folks, Jim White, uh, and the list goes on and on uh, of these interesting folks who uh, were there. So she actually fit right in. At first, it was an all boys place because there were no women on the, the air, but she fit in very quickly. In fact, years later, she told a story 
that there's, I don't know, something called the He-Man Club or some such crazy stuff like that in New York, in St. Louis. Um, this is the, the 90s. Uh, she was asked to join all these folks who are in the, in the, the, the He-Man Club. It's not Nate, the name of it, but it was the Gentleman's Club or something. And it had all these movers and shakers from around town. And she said, wait a minute, you're asking me, a woman, to come to your event and, you know, be part of your annual dinner? And they said, I'm a, she said, I'm a woman. He said, oh, Ann, we don't think of you as a woman. We think of you as one of the guys. And, 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 and she's like, uh, I didn't know if I should be flattered or insulted. You know? <laughs> like, wait a minute. Young women reporters used to say to me, and how did men treat you in this business? Because it was mostly men. I said they were wonderful to me. I never felt any discrimination. I really didn't. I mean, nobody, but I never played the woman either. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't whine or cry or do the things that men say women do. But she grew up in a, in a man's world in the, in the World War II when the boys were away. She worked on newspapers and things like that, which were mostly men. So she understood a man's world, if you will. So she tried to impart to these young ladies how to uh, approach the world with dealing with guys like Bob Hyland, who were, you know, tyrannical leaders. Uh, and demanding, but if you could, you know, make it happen for him, he was happy to have you. So, but she absolutely did. She, Jack Buck and she were f great friends. They um, both came from Rochester, New York. Women dealing in a man's world. I mean, Anne knew and would talk about, you know, just how far you could push things if you were a woman, as opposed to being a man. You know, a, a man could say anything and people would go, he's strong. But a, a woman, you know, there was a tendency to think, you know, she's too ambitious. And Anne had thought about all this and knew just how far to go. And she said, you know, she learned a long time ago, if you want to get in a man's world, you, you just push it right back at them. She said, if a guy came over to her and said, hey, Annie, I'd sure like for you and I to maybe go out tonight and I could show you something. She would say in a loud, clear voice so everyone could hear it. So this is what she told me. Um, my dear man, if you think for a second I'm interested in what's in your pants, you're sadly mistaken. You know, you need to move on and get away right now. Hurry. <laughs> and just embarrass the hell out of the guy, right? And she said, then you just move on. That you never felt that you were taken advantage of professionally by, by men, that you were never missed mistreated and that's true yes unfairly, i right? wasn't paid the same amount of money I understand of course that part of it okay <laughs> and i don't get the pension fund they get all right and i don't have and any of the I benefits think that's unfair but the men so. i worked with but did not treat me unfairly until you, no. you got on this show okay. you know I, I wonder about her and the me too movement you know i'm sure she would have been for it you know i mean she had she was always ready to put uh men down when they were out of bounds but, you know, she didn't come up, of course, in that era when a woman could just declare harassment. I mean, Anne came up, you know, where she could give as much as she could take. But right? I'm kind of a tough broad. I don't think there are many women out there who are strong enough to have a sense of humor and say, you know, go away. Lots more to get to, including her time on Donnybrook, her Hall of Fame status, and, of course, her retirement from radio and television when we return to the Ankeep Special on KMOX.
following is a special presentation of KMOX. She was the grand dame, a pioneer in a true legend. Welcome back to this KMOX radio special all about Ann Keefe. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. She was somebody that was very respected and uh, was a mentor to many at the radio station. I'll never forget the first uh, day that I went there and we were talking about all things New York, upstate New York, because we were both from there. And and uh, Anne uh, had a, um, a convertible. And I never forget. She said, "We're going to go for a ride. I'm going to show you St. Louis." And, <laughs> and I rode all around St. Louis, and she saw, showed me all of the sights. And uh, late at night, we uh, both grabbed dinner and had a bunch of wine and joked around about things. And she was just tremendous. She was also very kind to to the people at the station and kind to me and my family, which I will always, always appreciate. That's former KMOX general manager Tom Langmeyer. Anne was loved among her colleagues and would be happy to give advice like to her former KMOX host, Wendy Weiss, and also KMOX afternoon host, Mark Reardon. I graduated. I went to work immediately because Ann Keefe told me that if you stayed in St. Louis, if you tried to get your foot in the door, you're never going to get your foot in the door. That There were people waiting years and years and years to get their foot in the door in a major market like St. Louis. She said, go out. Go to the smaller markets. Make your mistakes. You won't make any money. You'll starve. And she was right. We did. Um, I did. And uh, I remember my dad telling me uh, the first time I came home with a job offer. You know, I said, I said, Dad, I'm so excited. This is what I've worked all my life for. <laughs> my life. I was 22. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, he said, but how much are they going to pay you? I said, $115 every two weeks. <laughs> and he said, why would you take a job that pays $115 every two weeks? And I said, well, because Ann Keefe said I have to pay my dues. And he said, well, then Ann Keefe will have to pay help pay your bills. <laughs> he said, because you're not going to be able to survive on $115 you know, every two weeks. Ann Keefe was not here when I came to KMOX, but obviously I knew Ann Keefe. I was a huge fan. In the late 1980s, I was doing music radio. I really wanted to do something along the talk lines, but I didn't have an opportunity. I was on an airplane. I think I was going to California. I was seated next to Ann Keefe. I knew her because everybody knew her. I knew what she looked like even back then in the 80s. I think she was doing some television at that time. And we had a, she was so nice, and I had a great chat with her. And I expressed my frustration because I have a, a to this day, I have a very good friend of mine. We went to school here at Parkway West, and he came out of college making pretty good money. I mean, my first year in radio, this was 19... 87, my first full year in radio, $15,000 a year, all right? And that was maybe high figure for that time doing radio in Columbia, Missouri. So I said to Ann Keefe, I said, man, I, you know, I, I can barely afford to eat and pay my rent. I love what I do. You know, this is my passion. I've done it ever since I was 15, and I wanted to do it ever since I was maybe 10 years old. And she drew a chart out for me on a piece of paper. Might have been a napkin. And she drew the chart sort of in a graph way, and it started at the bottom, sort of like you would see um, maybe the economy ticking up or a stock chart or something like that. And the line, you know, kind of raised through the piece of paper, the napkin. And she said, so you're down here right now. She sort of drew a spot, and you're making this much money. And your friend is over here considerably above you, and he's making a lot more money. But you have the opportunity to get to here, to get to the top, because realistically in our business, I mean, there are people that can make millions and millions of dollars, right? 
And this was the most important part, the most important part. She said, but here's, here's the deal. The whole time you're doing this and your friend is doing that, you're having a whole hell of a lot more fun than he is. And she was right. Mm-hmm. She was right. And, and that was a really cool moment for me. I never, never saw her again after that. In the book, The Mighty Mox, the former St. Louis County Executive Gene McNary said that Anne was talented in the way she would frame questions and provoke people. You would never dare to pick a fight with Anne, as explained by Riverfront Times founder and original member of Donnybrook, Ray Hartman. There were times we disagreed, and I would, I think it rarely, if ever, worked out well for me. <laughs> I mean, it, it really didn't. She just, it, it just didn't work out well. I don't know how to put it, doesn't that? I can't say 100% of the time, but rarely, if ever, worked out well for me. Ann would later say that knowing the politicians personally helped to get information whenever it was needed. She would work hard for it, but would later downplay that involvement. I just want to do nothing, which is, I must say, what I always wanted to do. You know, when you hear all the things I did in St. Louis and all the things oh, I, I do, I, you, I think, why was what was kind of moron was I to be doing those things? I'm the laziest person in the world. All I want to do is read a book. And I can remember my grandmother saying to me, for heaven's sakes, child, go out and play. You're so pale. <laughs> uh, but I didn't want to. I wanted to read Louisa May Alcott or something. Camwex was a family. And what's fascinating about Camwex, and we came to learn this over time, was uh, everybody listened to KMWX in St. Louis. Uh, businesses, shops, homes. Every in the morning, you'd get up and the little shoe, shoe stand guy would turn his radio to KMWX and listen to it all day long in the background. It's like background noise. As described by Ann's son, Chris, who has some stories of his own. Years ago, when I was a little boy, we were in the kitchen, my brother and I. My mom's in there and she's on the phone because that's where the phone was in those days, on a long cord in the kitchen. And uh, she hears the dryer going, thumb, 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 thumb. She says to my brother, Tony, Tony, he's five years old. What's in the dryer? Chris's sneakers, thumb, thumb, So my mom finally says, hangs up the phone, goes to the dryer, opens it, and I fall out. I'm like, I'm like two years old. And she said to him, Tony, why didn't you tell me? Chris was in the dryer in those sneakers. He said, Mom, you asked me to ask you asked me what was making the noise. So years later, I'm in business meetings, right, in St. Louis. And like, Keith, Keith, Keith. Are you Ann Keith's son? Yeah, I'm Ann Keith's son. Were you the kid in the dryer? I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the kid in the dryer. Thanks for asking, you know. <laughs> there were six of us, three boys and three girls. Peter uh, was a golden boy. He's hmm. my oldest son. Hmm. And uh, he, I have three sons, and they all were the only boys that wore their own tuxedos to proms. And the reason they had tuxedos is they were all waiters. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the youngest. My oldest sister lives back in Rochester still and, uh, my, uh, and has a boy f- uh, from uh, marriage. My sister Kitty lives in Cleveland, Ohio. She was a school teacher for 35 years in the inner city schools of Cleveland. She and her husband both, and they were both retired. My brother Peter, who passed had lived all over the place. But he was the one who created, uh, uh, among other things, Voltron, and he did a show called Saber Rider, and Mr. Widget, or Widget, and Mr. Bogus, and Denver, The Last Dinosaur. His, for a while, he had his finger on the, according to Variety Magazine, the pulse of children's programming. So he was uh, flying high for a long time. And then uh, a brother, Tony, who lives in Rochester, 
a sister, Molly, who lives in Rochester, and then me. So there were the six of us. My brother, Peter, if you remember him, he ended up marrying one of the Bush kids. So when we came to St. Louis, Anheuser-Busch used to own the baseball team. And Augie Bush Jr. at the time was the head of Anheuser-Busch. He had a daughter from a second marriage that, uh, that worked at KMOX as an intern. And she met my brother Peter, and the two of them got married. So it was very strange that us uh, Rochester folks came and married into the royalty of uh, St. Louis. Well, I have not been with it for so long, I'm with it. What? I'm so far out, I'm in again. Funny stories of my brother's interactions with old Augie Bush Jr., who was a sweetheart, but an interesting guy himself. My mom, it was uh, like we would go to the, the, the grand house, and my mom was always cool being at the, at the Bush residence, and we would go to lunches or dinners there for family events sometimes. And uh, Joseph, the butler, was very protective of the, of the family uh, wine room downstairs. But Augie, or Gussie, had always just drank beer. But at one night he said, Annie, you want some wine? And he says, yeah, yeah, I'd like some wine. So Joseph, come over here. Get, get some wine for my guest, Ann, here. So he goes and he comes back. And he was a very austere butler, a very a Germanic, uh, dour sort of fellow. Um, and so he poured some wine out. And my mom tasted it. And Augie said, well, what do you think, Ann? Is it all right? And she says, well, I suppose it will do. And, and Augie says, Joseph, go down and get a good bottle of wine. What the hell are you doing? I said to my mom, what did it taste like? Oh, it was fine to me. I just thought I'd, I just thought I'd say that to see what would happen. <laughs> when we return, we'll look at the time she spent on Donnybrook in her contribution to St. Louis Television, and later, her decision to call it a career on this Ann Keefe KMOX radio special. is a KMOX Radio special presentation. Looking back at the impact of KMOX broadcaster Ann Keefe, who would later be known for her work in public television, too, as described to WXXI news host Scott Feibler. All right, now go down the clock 30 years later, and I'm now, or 25 years later, I'm in my 70s now, and public television says... We'd like, well, I was on a panel, a, a news panel discussion called Donnie Brook, and it was like uh, Meet the Press. So they said, we'd like you to do a show about health. And I said, okay, once a week, okay. Then we want you to do a show about conversations with famous people. I, okay. So now I'm on pretty regularly, and I said, wait a minute, how come when I was 50, uh, I was too old, but at 75, it's okay. I don't get it. And they said, well, you know, women get to a certain age, and then they're not women anymore. They're just sort of persons. <laughs> oh, I see. You become anthropomorphic or whatever that word is. Uh, and I, I couldn't believe that. Now, she was still doing Donnybrook on Channel 9. So KETC here is the PBS station. So Mar a, a guy named Martin Dugan was the, uh, the editor of the Globe Democrat for years, which was the daily newspaper here along with the Post-Dispatch from the 1930s on. Martin Dugan uh, thought it would be fun to get people in the media together on a talk show. So he created it, and Channel 9 ran with it. 
I think the original folks were Bill McClellan, if you know him. He's still on it. Ray Hartman from the Riverfront Times. Uh, Mark Vitter, I think, may have been the first one on there. And uh, Rich Coster. And Rich Coster had been a, another uh, longtime old newspaper man in St. Louis. After maybe the first year or so, they invited my mom to start filling in, and then she became a regular. As part of a Donnybrook retrospective, former Globe Democrat editor and Donnybrook host and creator Martin Dugan explains his quest to sign Ann onto the show. When I invited her, she agreed readily, but she said, well, you have to ask Mr. Hyland. Well, I knew Bob Hyland well enough to ask him. And he didn't think too much of television. That's pretty much legend here in St. Louis. So um, I said, Bob, we'd like to have Ian on our show. And he said, well, since you're the one asking, you know, bug stuff, he said, she can do it once or twice. And I, and I thought, well, if he doesn't watch television, what's the point in telling him when twice is over, see? So she's been on ever since. Well, it, it was exciting because, you know, Ann Keith, uh, I, I knew her only through radio. I might have met her once or twice, but I mainly knew her listening to her. And she, you know, clearly was uh, smart, although I had no idea how smart. And she, I thought that she brought us to another level, that she was kind of bigger than we were. You know, I was the columnist at the Post-Dispatch. Martin Dugan was a uh, you know, retired editorial page editor from the Globe Democrat. Rich Coster worked on Channel 5. Uh, Ray ran the Riverfront Times. Mark Fitter had started the Business Journal. But Ann Keith, in my mind, had a higher profile than any of us. And I thought it was really cool that we were getting her. That's Bill McClellan, columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and one of the original members of Donnybrook. You shouldn't have opinions. You should have questions. That's what it's all about. It's about, well, wait a minute, what would happen if so-and-so happened? Or what, what's going to happen as a result of that? And let the audience give their opinions. But for you to spend a couple hours giving your opinion, and who cares? Especially if you're not an authority on anything, which I certainly am not. Hmm. Okay, let's get on to our next adventure, which is the Soviet. I guess I can't smoke in that little studio. Hmm. She was the wisest person I think I ever knew. That's the word I would use. She just was so wise. And it's such a great heart. But Anne really, there was never, she was really one of the real influences in my life. And and just, she was just, a, it was just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just all of a sudden we had a star player. You know, I mean, all of us, you know, had had our own, you know, story, whatever. But we were pretty young, and, and uh, you know, Martin had had a fine career as a Globe Democrat and Rich Coster, but, but Ann Keefe was a, was a star. And meanwhile, let's welcome Ann Keefe, our commentator from KMOX Radio, and Bill McClellan, columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ray Hartman, editor-publisher of the Riverfront Times, and Rich Coster of KSDK News Channel 5. Ray Hartman. I know you People agree with me. think it's too congested to go out right. west? Let them move in closer. Let them walk. <laughs> Let's hear from Ann Keefe. What do you think, Ann? Of Ian? course we have to widen the road. We've got a, a bottleneck there that has to be solved, and that's the, the wave of the future. Of course we've got to do it. Hey, yeah. what do you think, Rich you Coster? You've got to widen Highway 40, and you're not going to take but a few feet of land that's never used anyway. Seems Anybody who's right. ever driven home at 5 o'clock and had to go through the high point knows you've got to well, widen. And, and having her on the air with us, was was really transformational for the show. And there's always that moment just before you go on the air when you say, 
I don't know enough to do this. I'm not ready for this. Good. It's like standing in the wings of the theater and thinking, I don't remember my lines. I don't remember my cue. I don't even know what play this is. You know, there's that moment of absolute panic every day for what, 45 years, 46 years, never goes away. The adjective applied to Anne most often is she's brilliant. If I, as what? a woman, am in a position where you and I work, yeah. where you can never approach my position, never, then you're beneath me because I can do something you can't do and be rewarded for it financially and so forth. And when you have, what, 14 women killed in Persian Gulf and you tell me they're not in combat, that's pretty ridiculous. When we got her, I realized how uh, smart she was. I mean, you know, we would go out for a drink afterwards, Ryan. You know, Martin was pretty strict about that. Go out for a drink, and so everybody would remain friendly if there had been any disagreements. And Martin would say, uh, you know, to me, like, Bill, what do you think about this or that? And I go, well, uh, and, and then I'd just say something, you know, it's just saloon talk. And Anne would look at me and go, is that what you think? In such a way that I go, no, no, it really isn't what I think at all. What should I think? And and Anne would have some reasoned opinion. It, it was like there was nothing that she did not have a reasoned opinion about. Well, let's so, get back to that. Let's get, let's get back to where we're twisting and turning here. Uh, Perot lost, uh, according to my listeners, lost a great many voters this weekend to Clinton. So, you know, Clinton's there. Clinton, on the other hand, lost some to Bush because that, that whole regime about he didn't go to war, uh, he can't be trusted, is beginning, I think, to work on a lot of people. And so that's where we see the trends going. And meanwhile, the Perot fans are still Perot fans. The Moonies uh, are. And they're, I mean, yeah. they're, they're uh, not about Moonies, seven or eight percent. Oh, oh, come on, Listen, the true fair. believers are going to vote for him because they're not going to change. They're young but those and people old. on top that took him from eight or nine percent up to near 20, they're going to vote for one of the other two guys. But it's, it's, you are doing what all the media is doing. You're <coughs> discounting American citizens who are young and old, rich and poor, male and female across this country who find this man appealing. I think Clinton's got about 207 electoral votes in the bank. I mean, Bush isn't even contesting him, okay? He only needs 270 to win, and people are constantly hey, wait, wait talking about the percentages. That's a long uh, jump between 207 and 270. That's right. He may not get to 208. Okay. I think but, he but has one a of the, running but chance. Part of the 207. The most exciting election okay. I can remember in years. Part of the 207. Partly because of Ross Perot. You bet. Absolutely. Okay. Thank goodness for All that. right. Yeah, well, yes. part, part Let's of the, get down to okay. facts here now and predict who's going to win and no hedging about it. And Bill McClellan, what's your prediction? Oh, I don't know the electoral vote count rate, but Bill Clinton is going to win. And uh, Ann Keefe. I think Bill Clinton's going to win, but I think Ross Perot is going to get a much larger figure in the popular vote than anybody thinks he is. How much? Well, uh, you've heard this one, haven't I don't you? Know, about how much? Perot getting out of the race again late 10%. today. Huh? You heard about Perot getting out of the race today? I think he'll go over 10%. Today? I say again. 15 12. to 12. Anybody listening? 12. Okay. Uh, I guess not. No, I'm sorry. It's a joke. Oh, okay. Perot got out of the race again today because Mrs. Perot says she doesn't want to move to a smaller house in a crime infested neighborhood like Washington, D.C. She's got a good point. One, right? Good All righty. Well, well I guess you wait your... for my prediction. Right, yeah. Bush, all the way. Countless. Oh, I loved working with them. And that was a great chemistry. You know, in the, in the first days with uh, Mark Vittert and uh, my friend Bill McClellan and, of course, uh, Ray Hartman and Martin Dugan. We're all so different. You know, Martin's so conservative and Ray is so liberal and... Uh, Vittert is the businessman. He, he tries to see life from that point of view. 
And McCollin, of course, is in the middle somewhere trying to make peace with the world. God love him. And uh, that was a wonderful chemistry, and I loved those guys. I think she did that for, I'd say, maybe two or three more years, maybe, after KMOX. Just because it was one thing a week, and it wasn't hard to do, and all you had to do was be up on all the topics, which she was. Bill McClellan predicted months ago that if had you run for the U.S. Senate, you would have been elected. I, Absolutely. I think you were right. I think it was my year, Bill. All right. I would have liked to have seen it. Yeah. Let's go on to something else. Senator Keith. Thank you. Pastor, many people have complained that the real winner in the presidential election were the media. Anne would later be quoted as saying she enjoyed her time with Donnybrook, but she also loved being retired. When we come back, we'll look at what led to that decision on this KMOX radio special of Ann Keefe. is a special presentation of KMOX Radio. Ann Keefe is a KMOX Radio legend, and we now continue to look back at her life and her work. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. By 1993, Ann was about 53 years removed from starting her career in broadcasting and was ready to enjoy the rest of her life in retirement, as told to John Carney. News Talk 1120 KMOX, it is our live broadcast from the St. Louis Radio and Media Hall of Fame inductions going on at the Chase Park Plaza and another illustrious class this year. A couple of which uh, KMOX alumni, Jim Holder, who's actually come back into the mix a little bit, mostly from what I understand to steal office supplies, um, but also Ann Keefe. As you look back on broadcasting and radio in particular, and I say look back because you haven't come back to to an industry that would embrace you. And in this day and age, if you wanted to do it, you would be back on the air in the morning. Um, do, do you miss it? And, and how do you size it up now? No, dear. When I got to be uh, in my 70s, I figured that the world was changing very rapidly, and I wasn't really on top of it, nor did I want to be. I didn't want to wake up anymore in the morning thinking, now let's see. Who is the senator from Alabama that's causing all the trouble? I, I had felt that I had to keep my mind sharp, and I got tired of that and thought, I just want to read novels, and I don't want to have to think or know anymore. And I like to cook, and I have three little grandchildren who live next door, and we have great times together. And I, I was glad to leave. And yes, you're correct. I have been often asked to appear or to uh, be on radio. And I just don't want to do it anymore. It was enough. I want, to, I want to now just be mother and grandmother. Well, you certainly have left an imprint that is going to last uh, well throughout time. And uh, personally, I'm, I couldn't be happier that you're having the time of your life right now. You deserve it. Well, thank you, my dear. You know, I remember when she was ready to retire. I said, I said, Ann, why retire? I mean, you know, it isn't like you have to prepare for this show. This isn't radio. You just come here, and uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, you just don't say anything. That's what I do. And she, she said, uh, I said, you just show up on Thursday. 
And she said, well, you don't understand. I don't want to remember that it's Thursday. And, you know, so so she did retire. She really enjoyed her time. And she but she missed Bob Highland very much when he went because he really was steering that ship with an iron hand. It became a different place after he was after he moved on, after he passed. One of the things that that led to her retirement, she would always say, was sort of the incivility in talk shows these days. She found that listeners wouldn't ask questions of the guests. They would just provide comments and opinions and sometimes slam the guests. So we kind of moved to where Anne would just do the interviews, thank the guests, hang up, and then ask for listeners to respond. So I think that was part of it. I think she also saw a lot of shock jock talk show host, and she didn't like that so much. So I think that also contributed to her getting out of radio, at least for KMOX at that time. Highland did have people calling in, but they were only allowed to ask a question. And in those, as I say, before the internet, before everybody had an opinion and everybody had a space to put it on, it was much more deferential to ask a question rather than to give a comment or make a statement. So when they were having people on the air as guests for KMOX, they would have folks call up and ask, be, and actually engage in the conversation and ask the expert a question or ask the guest a question. And it was, uh, it was a very different world than it is today where people are simply espousing their views when they call it and stuff. And that's fine. There's something for everybody in that pot. In those days, it was more of a news and information entertainment center rather than a two-way sharing place. I think Robert Highland had a genius for finding genius to begin with. He somehow knew. And, of course, you know that when uh, I worked there, you might have 18 people come, be hired, go on the air, and they're gone in two days or two weeks because he didn't like the way they sounded on his station. They didn't fit. They didn't fit his image. He thought they'd be okay, but they weren't. So he threw a lot of people back to where they came from, and what was left were people who made it, in his view, and who indeed were special people. And he gave them everything they needed to work with. He gave them the time on the air to develop their skills. He gave them, I mean, there was no question of who you could phone or who you could interview. He just let you go and develop your own self, and your own style. And that, that builds artists, there's no doubt about that. After Mr. Highland passed, a chap named Rod Zimmerman came in. They came in with the format from CBS, and it was... Uh, uh, foreign to all the folks who worked at KMOX because suddenly it sounded, it's kind of like if you ever saw the Howard Stern movie where they make Howard Stern say CNBC in a certain way. And uh, he felt trapped by that. And I think the KMOX folks felt trapped by the same way the market had changed. Now, at the same time, you had younger folks coming in like Charlie Brennan who were actually willing to adopt because they hadn't had 50 years in the business doing it another way. So that's one of the reasons that she was glad that she got out because what they started doing when people were calling in and they do this frequently now and it's perfectly fine, but it was foreign at the time was uh, you have an expert on the radio and now we open the lines for our guests to call in or, or their listeners. And instead of saying, hi, listener, you have a question? Yes. I want to know, does the professor think that there'll be global warming uh, soon they would call up and say, first of all, you had to identify who they were. Jim. Jim from Afton is on the line. So now the person has a 
person, a face, you know, or a, an identity. And then Jim, do you have a, do you have a question? No, I don't have a question. I just want to say, I think this is stupid and you are, all, and suddenly this person's talking about their opinion, which we all know we have them, but that wasn't adding to the conversation. It was simply letting somebody rage or vent. And my mom thought that was not what uh, at your service was all about. It wasn't about a forum for listeners to call up and espouse their views. The radio industry was changing, and so was KMOX, and Ann decided to retire from radio. Well, she was born in 1925, so she was, what, 75? When was she? She was 72, 73 years old. So it was time, and l- luckily she, well, she was able to. She financially could. We, we were talking one day again at a bar, and... <laughs> She told me that she had interviewed a guy earlier that day, and he he was, uh, you know, uh, alcoholic and drug counselor or something, and he was talking about alcoholics. And he said, you know, well, one thing you can tell about an alcoholic is they can count. They are counting always the time to their next drink. And she said to me that it just so happened that she was looking at the clock when she said that because she was thinking, I'll be done here in an hour and 10 minutes. Her life in retirement when we continue for one last time on this KMOX radio special for Ann Keith. is a KMOX Radio special presentation. I hope you have enjoyed this KMOX Radio special on Ann Keefe. If you missed any part of it, you can find it at KMOX.com in the podcast section or by searching for Ann Keefe wherever you get your podcasts. One time, um, Art Fleming said to me, you know, you and I will always have a job because we're not brilliant. We're just ordinary folk, and we come on time, we know our lines, and we're nice to the crew. And so whenever there's an opening, somebody will say, well, you know, get Fleming or get Keefe, because they'll come in, do their job, and go. And I, I often think he's right. I think that's, that's the rule we feel. But mostly I think nowadays people talk to me about uh, politics. If I meet a lady in the supermarket, as I often do, or on an escalator, um, they missed the seriousness of the kind of broadcasting we did with legislators, with authors, with other journalists. Um, they missed that, I think. She really had a, a grace about her. She seemed very classy, and I, I really appreciated that. KMOX host Charlie Brennan had the pleasure to work with Ann before she retired and eventually before her move back to New York. So now she's in her 80s. And she's getting older and needs a little more help. And my sister Molly said, Mom, why don't you move back to Rochester? My girls now have little babies that you can hold. And we would love to have you come home and be back in Rochester. She said, well, St. Louis is my home. She said, well, Rochester is too. It's always been your home. So she decided that, yeah, that she would do that. So she moved back to Rochester and had a grand time. She uh, was happy as a clam there, got to re- established, maybe that's the word, you know, got to experience those kids that she had not seen, she had not been with, except for once a year for 20 years. 
she got to reshare with their families and regrow and hold babies and do all kinds of stuff. And it, and and she then caught up with some of her old pals from the WROC days too. And she had many many friends in in Rochester, and even in Rochester, after 20 years, 25 years of being gone, if she went to a grocery store, or she went somewhere, people say, "Wait a minute, I know your voice. Um, you're Ann Keefe." I think Ann will always be remembered as just the quintessential interviewer, female or not. She just had this ability to talk with anyone, be it a, a, a you know the very lowest commoner or the very highest ranking public official. Uh, nothing scared her. Nothing put her off. Uh, she said that's probably because she read so much and she felt comfortable talking with everyone and anyone. She did other things as well. I think Barnes Hospital had her involved in some healthcare care um, series that they produced uh, that she hosted, like, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 of these uh, health and daily living shows for senior citizens. And she certainly was asked to come and talk to folks, which she did all the time, you know, and she would, uh, you know, volunteer her time to go to, to visit various folks and people. And so she really had a a full life, let me tell you that. She would have a way of, of asking you an uncomfortable question. And her questions were, were, were as far as Donnybrook debate, sort of like daggers, you know, they were tough. <laughs> but she was always, it was so much, she was such a great person to be around. And uh, uh, I, I can't say enough about her, obviously, but, but it's, it's all from the heart. She just was just an amazing person. She should be remembered as a wonderful, interesting person who was interested in the world. And she took the time not only to have a family of her own and actually spend time with her family uh, and spend time with all her kids and actually raise them, as well as having this other thing that she did in her life, her job, her career, where she got to explore knowledge and information, which is what she did all her life. It was all about getting information and sharing it with others. And she was just a delight. And I think she'll be remembered as being very smart, very informed, very well-spoken, very direct. Yet at the same time, she was very kind and fun and self-deprecating. Some of her best stories involved mistakes and goof-ups she made, not just as a radio talk show host and a TV anchor, but as a mom as well. Anne died on Tuesday, December 29th, 2015, at the age of 90. And when she passed, she passed at my sister's house, and she passed in the kitchen. She was making herself a little sandwich, and and she was 91 years old, and my sister came in the back door. My poor mom was laying on the kitchen floor and had just, just expired. It's very sad. It's very overwhelming, uh, especially for my sister. Um, But at the same time, we all agreed completely what a way to go making a little sandwich for yourself in the kitchen you know not hooked up to wires for months somewhere or in, in dementia or anything and uh, she was sharp as a tack up until the day that she passed so she never lost her faculties i think she did give up cigarette smoking maybe the last six months or so it finally caught up to her <laughs> <laughs> She'll be remembered for many things, and I hope you made a few new memories of Ann Keefe as well. I want to thank all those who contributed and helped along the way, including those who have taken great steps to preserve the history of KMOX. If you would like to listen to this special in its entirety, 
or share it with a friend or family member, go to the podcast section of KMOX.com. You'll find other radio documentaries there as well. I'm your host, Ryan Recker, and thank you for listening. Joan Boitman was, the, I think, the news editor for a long time. She and my mom went to Greece, and they were on a balcony of a hotel after an afternoon of cruising around to the small villages somewhere in Greece, and they're on this beautiful marble balcony, sitting at tables, looking out over the Aegean Sea with the mountains and the other islands in the background, and mom's got a martini and a cigarette, and she turns to Joan and she says, you know, it really doesn't take much to make me happy. And Joan's like, what are you talking about? You're in Greece with martini and a cigarette. You're doing fine. <laughs> All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.